Hello, listening public, and welcome to another episode of Art and Labor, your favorite podcast. We talk about all kinds of things, sometimes art, sometimes not art. Uh, more and more people are saying that Art and Labor is their favorite podcast. It's, hey, you know, we have fun. Um, that's our motto. Uh, <laughs> their favorite or the one that's going to make them drive off a cliff? Both. Oh! Both. Both. <laughs> Whoa, we can't afford to lose listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I need you. Well, um, today, uh, today is great. We're we're back on topic. You know, we're really we're really hitting our uh, tried and true notes. Um, we are uh, talking with um, a special guest Jessalyn from Holland. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jocelyn. <laughs> um, yeah, Jocelyn. So you're from the SF MoMA organizing committee? Um, um, I or... have been previously. So I worked at SF MoMA for five years, and now I'm an artist and arts worker who makes art around uh, systems and labor organizing. And so I have a project called Organizing Power that really aims to make tools for organizing unions and doing union work at arts and nonprofits. And I collaborate with two of my former colleagues at SFMOMA, one who's still there. Uh, All of us um, are involved in labor in different ways. And it's really just about um, spreading the labor movement to arts workers. Because you've been making these great um, risograft zines. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they they look. I haven't seen them yet, but the photos look great. Um, oh yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I I hoarded them and I'm handing them out to people who want to organize. <laughs> yeah. No. No. That's better. Give them to the, <laughs> give them to people. Give them to people who actually have um, yeah the the relevant jobs. I mean, I guess I was in NGO, but I'm losing that my NGO's job. At, I forgot to tell you, Lucia. <gasps> yeah, oh, my NGO job. <laughs> God, because <laughs> I was on a a part time temporary contract, and mm, if they were to continue mm-hmm. the contract, they would have mm-hmm. had to give me benefits. So, mm-hmm. oh Jesus, what can you do? Employers love to not support their workers. They they love mm. me, want to keep me, but not for that yeah. much money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I could I could talk a little bit about how the project started, if that's yes. helpful. So please, um, yeah, back on, back on track. Get us yeah. back on track. And also, yeah. <laughs> Keeping it task oriented. Yeah. In yeah. Labor. Okay. Just have some whiskey. I, <laughs> You'll be you know, fine. Spiked. Spiked. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, at SF MoMA, it's um, one of the largest unions, uh, museum unions. It's the second oldest. MoMA is the oldest art museum union. And the SF MoMA union is coming up on 50 years. So, it's a pretty entrenched nice. institution there, I'd say. It's like got um, over 200 people in it, including. Um, part-time people, which is really great. They're covered by the union contract. So I worked in education for there for five years. um, And as many people in the art world will know, SFMOMA underwent a really huge expansion from 2013 to 2016. That was the time I joined. Opened this like giant whale of a new museum. And then a couple years I think like a year into that, we had to we had a wage reopener, so it became a really vicious struggle. I was on the bargaining team uh, for that, and the museum really refused to budge and give people what they need. That's like a common thread from arts workers: is that museums expand, they do this huge expansion, get lots of money, don't give it to the workers, and. 
San We've Francisco. definitely been told yeah. that story on here uh-huh. more than yeah. once. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we started seeing a lot. Ooh, sorry, I live. I love the train. We oh, love trains down here. We're big train people. No, you go too. right ahead. It's a whole other podcast topic then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the end, we can talk about our train sonas. So everybody yeah. stay tuned to the end and we'll share. Okay. Hell yeah. Fomers. We'll get weird at the end. But um, yes, yes. You're, you're, you're talking about how, you know, the museum has all the money in the world for expansions and none for um, its workers. Right. So um, we went through a really, I think, like kind of public... Uh, struggle around that and started connecting with other arts workers like uh, MoMA started an Instagram account we were really inspired by that and we're like we'll start an Instagram account and just did like a lot of organizing that became public Um, we had to go into federal mediation to agree to that and this was just a wage increase that wasn't even an entire contract that we were bargaining and then the following year we had to bargain the entire contract which um also, so it was like two years of bargaining with this team of colleagues. A lot of them were, you know, there was some shifting, but, um, you know, I've always been really interested in organized labor. I used to be a public school teacher. And so I decided to join the bargaining team and work with my colleagues on this contract. And we we're essentially bargaining for two years with two federal mediations and almost went to arbitration. And um, just through the process of working with my colleagues top and down across the union, it's you find out how little people know about labor and how like even like what a union is, you know, like the common thing you'll hear is that like, what am I paying these dues for? I'd rather keep that money. And you think the union, a union is this like abstract force outside of you. But really, once you're involved in it, you realize a union is what you contribute to it. So I um, while I was still working there and still on the bargaining team, I just really wanted to make these tools accessible to other people like me who Maybe like also in the Bay Area and around the country, like now we're seeing the effects of this, but there's been this huge wave of people unionizing at museums. And so I thought like, what if there was like an easy way for people to access that info and find out like what a union is and what a union does? That's the first booklet I made. And um, what if it was like a cool risograph printed booklet that appealed to arts workers? Because a lot of the stuff around labor aesthetically is kind of from the past. It's awesome, but it's like, dispersed on union websites all over the internet and it's just that like, were made in 2006 i, I don't know it's like something yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's no, a, and they haven't been know. updated since 2006 exactly and they're like chunky yeah. and with like a, a not very updated union they run logo, on flash and it's really buried under <laughs> Or, totally, or you, totally it, yeah. it's hard to get a, a an artist to read an entire Jane McAlevey book and get them to like transpose <laughs> it to their type of work, but, which to yeah. be fair, yeah, it can be a little confusing. So it's good to have like, it's a really convoluted process. I'll also say, yeah. just like, what do I do even like, who do I talk to? So I just thought like hearing from other arts workers who have unionized would be like the best tool. And also in a format that really resonates with this audience, like, you could go buy this at an art book fair or you could get it for free by emailing on our website or like, so this originally uh, was a project at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco where I was a fellow from 2018 to 2019, a non-unionized museum. Um, And so we had a whole event that was like a big public event and we organized labor talks with labor leaders, like including some of the like classic labor leaders in the Bay Area, and also California College of the Arts is an art school in the Bay Area that's uh, been undergoing a union fight for like years. They got recognized and they can't get their contract still and the pandemic's made that worse. So 
And then also Nat Naylor from OPEIU, who is SF MoMA's union rep and has been the rep for between 15 and 20 years and is just like a really awesome pro worker, like just rad leftist organizer who I really appreciate. And uh, so Nat worked on the first one with us. And then um, Nat is a union organizer during the pandemic. So uh, we got a grant for two more. This current one is about how to negotiate a contract. So it's like, you have your union, we have all these rad museum unions, but how do you negotiate a contract and get through like all the legal stuff? Um, so it's really just trying to cover the, you know, the breadth of union organizing, but from an art worker perspective. Yeah, which again, I think is totally fair because like a lot of these situations like are, it's it's hard to pin down the the um, variety of jobs that people do within the museum and like what counts towards this and what counts towards that and like everyone's on a different type of contract and all this stupid shit you know yeah yeah, and, yeah you never know like I didn't know what kind of how many jobs there were at museums mm -hmm. until I worked at one and yeah and I think it's also uh, important to. Like, I, li I like that you um, got into some of the more concrete elements of what exactly um, is like a functioning union. Like, like here's here's some uh, inputs. Like, here's where you vote on things. Here's where the money goes. Here's like percentages of things. Like, not only you know, I think I think a lot of times when people are organizing, they just get to this point of like, we know we need to be secretive and we know that we need to get a vote. But then once you get to negotiations, it's this time where a lot of people can take advantage of you and like, you know, kind of make you like bargain for less than you're worth if you don't know like what exactly you can ask for, how to ask for it, what's like the correct terminology to use. And like the way that you lay all of that out sort of, I don't know, I think it's cool. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, yeah, I, it really helps. Um, so like volume two is really about like hearing from other workers like Dana, who you've interviewed before a couple of times, like um, just like their voices and their experiences, because that is really impactful because no one who's doing this um, before has been a professional labor organizer. They're like art handlers and artists and educators and like frontline staff. They're like, we're not people who have like law degrees, for example. Um, yeah, and then you go so through two years on an organizing committee and suddenly, yeah, you do know a lot. You have a lot of knowledge that you've accrued and it's like, and, and, and you have the knowledge of being a teacher. So you, you can figure out a good way to disseminate that. And that's all, you know, very yeah, and like the powerful. skills of negotiation are things that you don't always learn, especially in an arts context. So like for me, having been on uh, served on a bargaining team for two years, like I really learned how to negotiate. And actually, since the pandemic started, I negotiated my rent down, a thing I never would have Whoa. thought about. Or done. That's how it goes. It's, that's, that's, that's how it goes. goes. Yeah. That's the galaxy yeah, make up move. Yeah. magazine for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was really like just dealing with an employer um, yeah. who we always would say is offered two paths and they pick the wrong one every time, pretty much. Uh, for the workers. <laughs> uh, always like makes it way worse than they need to. And so, you know, like 
a common refrain was that SFMOMA wants to pay workers at the median of the market rate. And it's all this, yeah, it's this, exactly. It's like, why? We're trying to be a world-class museum, but you're like, mm, yeah, we're going to pay at the median, definitely. Um, and it's a classic, like, I remember Dana, when she was talking with y'all, just like, um, you want, the, you're just, they're waiting for other workers to come in there. Like, their mm -hmm. workers are disposable, whatever. You'll cycle out here in two years and we'll get someone else. They're really eager to get the psychic benefits of working this cool job. And, uh, Psychic benefits. You know, we don't yeah. need institutional memory. Yeah, yeah. They, they can't. They can't wait to eat the prestige. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we had a refrain in our last bargaining time at us of MoMA of psychic benefits don't pay rent, and it's true. Like it's. You know, you can't live off that. And so, but yeah, they look at, they try to act like, okay, well, this is, you know, we're all looking at the market and this is the market. So when it came to my rent, I was like, well, I'm looking at the market and the market has gone down for rent in my area. So therefore, and they're like, okay, well, you know, we'll give you this month of free rent and discount. But I just like, it's a skill set yeah. I didn't have going into a bargaining that I now do. Um, so I just, there's a lot of stuff you don't know until you go through the experience. Like you don't know how hard it is. Uh, there's a quote um, in there from someone, one of the uh, workers that we interviewed of just like, you're not going to get something that makes everyone happy. That's another thing. You're always assessing trade-offs um, and you're always like trying to do the best by everyone, but you like can't do everything that meets everyone's needs. And so like, that's really hard to do emotionally because especially in nonprofits and art spaces, we're, we're pretty close to a lot of our colleagues. Like we care about our jobs. We care about the people we work with. They're kind of often smaller orgs and you're like trying to do your best for everyone, but you can't do everything for everyone. And that's really hard. And just like knowing how to deal with that emotionally is a skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that just made me think about like how it, yeah, that can be really hard, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's, it's also so sad when it's like a, a bad bargaining committee or something where it's like, you know, like I'm just thinking about all the adjuncts that got thrown under the bus during this pandemic and stuff like that. And it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, it, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, dealing with um, this is all you can, this is all you have the capacity to do. But then also like, yeah, the um, yeah, the weight of everything and like the like how I don't know that it just sucks it sucks to when when shit like when the, the the union can't hold on or something or when it or when a union gets too conservative or stuff stuff like that yeah I mean I also like I'm really impressed by too um just going back to like doing this yourself and like having legal knowledge the art workers union at the fry museum they're a totally independent union and just they're um we interviewed them for the booklet but like just hearing how they did it without a professional organizer. Like most people have a professional organizer they're working with. Like in my case, it was OPEIU and a lot of the New York museums, it's UAW or like SEIU. And, you know, uh, just uh, an organizer brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Uh, it, although you like know your job the best, I'm just really impressed by, I don't know how-, how well, That's a lot. That. <laughs> yeah, <there's> a lot <laughs> yeah. to take on. So I guess like the moral of this second booklet is, Negotiating a contract is really hard and really <laughs> difficult and emotionally draining. However, it was just really cool to read all of um, the stories that people had about how much they learned and grew and got inspired by their colleagues. Um, 
Jill Grant was one from the New Children's Museum. Like I saw them unionize and then they started negotiating their contract. And um, I don't know, it's just cool to hear from their stories about how like they saw their coworkers rise to the occasion or like they've seen coworkers become politicized or really engaged. So <sighs> yeah, that's exciting to me. Yeah, they were like, they were pretty early on the the wave as far as like, I remember taking note of both of those places as far as not New York places that I noticed were starting to unionize like in the, that, that like initial wave. Um, because yeah, we, we, we certainly saw a little like UAW big grab and then uh, <laughs> like that happened here. And, and it, that was pretty cool. 30 just being <laughs> yeah, like, 30, yeah. hey, oh, we're still here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it, this, yeah, this is, this is, it's great to talk to, to folks not in New York. We, cause we really don't do it enough. I was going to say like, um, yeah. I know it was interesting being on the West coast, um, in the Bay area, having these public struggles and we would like get local arts coverage written as, about us. And like MoMA's struggle was really public, I think in the new museum and PS1, but um, there's been a lot of attention on New York, but there's a huge amount of labor organizing on the West Coast. And, you know, like the West Coast is like in, in the Bay Area, we have such a labor history going back to the like late 1800s, early 1900s and the waterfront strike. So there's like this, um, it's like part of the soil here, I think, in some ways. And so now we're just like, we need to update it and get more people excited about it. Um, so it's, I, it's yeah, I kind yeah. of think the secret is it's all like people rising to the occasion. It's like if we're going to rise to the occasion and meet the the history of people who did this before us, no matter where we lived, like we can make we can canonize that history ourselves so it's like to me it's like new york gets a lot of attention because all the fucking media is here right. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah. Like, we've got a ton of museums yeah yeah we have a big art industry yeah it's part of it but it does you know it happens all over the world it's happening everywhere like you know um and and it's yeah and there's different of course there's like different like state laws or things that like i don't understand but like like talking we talked to the uh walters workers who are trying to unionize mm -hmm. in baltimore mm -hmm. and like they were explaining to us like a process that i'd never like really even considered but because of like their amount of like public funding that they get they were like one of our avenues is maybe oh. just like lobbying and like yeah know. i mean like being <laughs> like a federal or a state employee like you don't yeah. hear a lot about those like but in san francisco the fine arts museums of san francisco which is the de young and the legion of honor and also then the asian art museum they're all city-owned institutions and they've all been unionized with seiu for a long time because they're governmental and then the same thing with um bam pfa and in berkeley and the hammer in los angeles those are under uc contracts so they're all with upti and that's a really interesting one because I've talked to workers there and they're like, we are also bargaining with like research coordinators and like all kinds right. of people in many parts of a really big system. So I think a lot of times um, you, we don't see these like struggles going on throughout like the arts world because they're in these like already existing heavily like institutionalized governmental framework so it's been cool to see some of that be more public or at SFMOMA none of our stuff was really that public unless it got really bad and there was like a protest outside um you know because we just weren't on the internet it's like a 40 something year old union we weren't like trying to start a union we were just <laughs> like trying to you know get a good contract over time <laughs> but I think a lot of that has just become more visible and it's really cool because like all these art workers have built solidarity and 
these kind of coalitions. Yeah, and it's like an interesting avenue for arts. Like if we're talking arts workers in general is kind of like your your zines and stuff. I I I, I want to talk more specifically about SF MoMA, but like just to say like if it, yeah, if we're talking about um, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but um, sorry, I don't know how that happened. Um, <laughs> shit, you go ahead. Sorry, someone else go ahead. Oh, it's that damn whiskey. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Oh, oh, Yay! okay. Sorry, I going going back to like the Walters people and um, pub like like these places like could become part of the public infrastructure. There's no reason why they couldn't. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why the public couldn't buy a museum that's private and make it a public museum. Like that's not outside of the realm of possibilities. I know it sounds insane when we have like a collapsing healthcare system. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, there's also, there's a lot of issues. Yeah. You kind of just started highlighting that, but I was, I was looking into sort of like the breadth of what constitutes a museum or like a institution of that level. And there's also like, um, like local history museums, there's mm-hmm. aquariums, there's mm-hmm. like, and then there's organizations like, oh, what if you have a zoo? And uh, there's so many like different um, funding models for each of these places. And the ones that get the most money are arts institutions. So in a screwed up way, like all of the private money does also still make it possible to support like right this 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 movement <laughs> because yeah. we don't have a culture of public funding for mm-hmm. most well, that, I think, like <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't necessarily but like in i think it's notable that it's like in places like baltimore which is so close to dc that they kind of do more than more so than us like regionally oh, sure. i think that makes sense yeah uh, yeah, They're it's just, rare and it's special. Just like, I, I don't know. It's just interesting to be reminded, like to read. I think it'll be really interesting to read all the different um, people that you interviewed all together, like and see, like have have this little tome of like how do they do it here, how do they do it here, and why. Like I think that's all like interesting knowledge and things to put into our back pocket in a in in a future. Maybe maybe there's some future where <laughs> it's a possible strategy, well, <laughs> and it's something that's coming together here too. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why, um, you know, when I started this project, I thought, like, should it just be art museums or arts workers? But I actually think expanding to greater nonprofit workers is important. And maybe that's because, you know, OPEIU, who represents SFMOMA, is like office and professional employees and represents like the San Francisco Marin Food Bank. They unionized in the past like year or two. Lyric, which is an organization to support queer youth. And there's um, a lot of connections because like, even though these are smaller nonprofits, a lot of the like toxic labor stuff is uh, obviously there at larger institutions as well. And so like Nat, our union rep, could totally spot that from decades of experience. It's mm-hmm. it's not that different than like what a museum director or HR department does. Like it might be a bigger scale, but um, it's still present. You know, nonprofits I think can be pretty toxic workplaces. And yes. we're see- we're seeing that now because so much yeah. is coming public, and yeah. I mean, there it's it 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 stinks. Like, I mean, I, I'll say I'll I'll take a little liberty and say like the play. I like the organization that I was working for up until they are laying me off at the end of the month. But 
Um, like I was expecting that this whole time because I'm just like, you know, whatever I'm on a temporary contract, but like, this is an org that I, I think is like important to healthcare and housing infrastructure in the mm-hmm. city and should be public and aren't. Mm-hmm. And, and there are like a lot of, um, NGOs that, that operate in this in a very similar way. So it's not just this one org that I've experienced with. It's a, it, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's it's also- part of a pattern and like, it's, a, I mean, that's why this all gets back to bigger systems issues sorry no no i was just gonna say i think like the the other aspect is that it's it's often like the same i mean a lot of times in arts administrations you'll have the same people who would work at a nonprofit. you know it's not just there's parallels a lot of times it's the same people especially in the higher management levels you get people who are specialized just in managing and it doesn't really matter what they're uh, who they're managing or what they're doing, you know? Yeah. And also like, uh, yeah, we had an HR head who came from the like corporate world. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, I guess it's like, these are all just part of the bigger labor struggle. And there are like different things that apply when you're like public versus nonprofit or like bigger and smaller, but um, they're all just like part of systemic inequality that workers face in America. So, but I do think like arts workers don't always see themselves as workers. That's mm-hmm. something I experienced when I started um, working on the bargaining team is like, oh, like I want to be able to like not pay dues and negotiate my salary myself. And like, you think you have more power as an individual and it's like such an entrenched American mindset to, to break off <laughs> of. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't want to be an hourly worker. I'm like better than that. It's like a weird class thing that exists in artwork. I think a lot of times uh, when it's like, no, we are all workers and we should see ourselves that way. And the more we do, the more we can like gain power together. So, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think this thing happens when you're working in an institution where it's at least all of, all of my friends that have um, been in museum work um don't tend to be in they're not like the head curator (laughs) they're not like oh this is where i'm gonna make my mark on the world they're like okay i'm in visitor services i'm going to school i'm just doing this and anything on top of like studying to be what i really want to be and then going and fulfilling this hourly bullshit is like is already too much. So I'm going to pretend I'm not even doing this because at the end, when I graduate my, with my MFA or something like, I'm going to just like have a sold out show. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to also be really invested if you're like a part-time worker, who's not going to be there forever. And you know, nonprofits capitalize on that. Totally. Right. Yeah. And then it's like the sort of burnout rate just leads to this culture of accepting that people don't get comfortable in these workplaces. And it's like very weird that we don't have long term communities in cultural hubs. Like, why? Why not? You know, that. It, yeah. would apply, it would apply too much consistency to <laughs> make it a worthwhile real estate investment. <laughs> and it, I think, I guess also that's why I'm really excited about like the increase of mu- art museum workers joining into the labor 
movement through forming unions. Like, I don't, it's been just like so gratifying and exciting to see. So um, the Philadelphia Museum of Art used the first booklet that we made to help them unionize and like wrote a really sweet email the other day about like how they would bring it to their meetings. And I just like, there's a lot of um, unity building amongst workers and that builds to a bigger labor movement. And I think there's all this potential for arts workers who are just like, yeah, I'm getting my MFA. I'm trying to make my art and do my job. But now suddenly have this like worker consciousness because they've been part of this um, because their working conditions have like pushed them to try to get more. And so I do think there's this like community building part of it that's so exciting and important right now, whereas everyone was way more siloed before. Yeah. Yeah, it changes the workplace, but it also, because of the nature of these places, it changes the potential for the art that's being made. So many people working in these places are students or training to be artists or they are artists and they are working as an art handler until they can get on their feet. And like everyone is sort of trying to like think about what, you know, okay, well, I'm, I'm angling and I'm trying to build a community. And if that community is built on the tenets of like <laughs> rights, <laughs> human rights. And healthy and a future <laughs> and a fucking future, right? Yeah. Because like the other side, the really dark, I'm sorry, I'm going to get kind of dark, but like the dark side of like pursuing a career in the arts is like a lot of people have a fucking death wish. And a lot of people like, get into this mindset where they're like fuck it i'm just yeah. living for today i'm just doing my art and or like Satoshi fuck I don't, I don't know if i'll I have know. rent next month but well. yeah like like what like and that's not healthy that's not well, that's you know. also that's also sort of a mindset that um you can like track the evolution of that directly from how education happens in the arts where it's like oh you have to be able to like go inside of yourself and talk about this really subjective reality and then you have to like think about the sensation of that reality and then you put that in a medium and you understand like what the medium is but you don't ever get taught about like how people can come together with a sort of symbolic language to broaden like their connections or like um the understanding of an ideology or like how to map a political framework through your work because like you have to go to like a really specialized place or like really seek that out to get that and now it's like okay so you don't get it in school but maybe you get it in in your workplace yeah it's not it's not any individual's fault that it it happens Mm -hmm. that way it's a totally the system's fault and that's why education tools are so valuable like doing little schools doing zines all of that is really important and and is and is good to do even making the art itself is important to do and like I don't know. I lose track of that shit all the time where I'm just like, what are we doing? <laughs> we keep yeah. losing, but I don't, I don't know. You know, yeah, welcome I mean, to well, the left. Yeah. We're in a long-term <laughs> struggle. It's like, can feel deflating. Like it feels really hard to accomplish things. Yeah. And that is actually why I think unions are super awesome. Um, because I'm, you know, I come out of leftist politics and like uh, co-ops are a really big foundation of, 
who I came to be like working at like food worker run co-ops when I was younger um, and like being involved in punk, all those like really defined my perspective of the world. It got me into being a teacher for a similar reason, because that's like an area you can impact change. And so unions are like this structure we have that actually lets us change something in our daily lives. And I think for most people, that's where the most political education happens is because you had an experience in your daily life. Yeah. Yeah. And then you like found a tool to make it better. And so like at my old job, like, you know, we didn't have the highest wages, but like they weren't the lowest because we had a 40 something year old union contract. Mm -hmm. Like I have colleagues who retired since I've worked with them and like, you know, our healthcare wasn't the best, but we had some. So it's like, there are tangible things and that's what politicizes people when you find a way that you can actually tangibly change something together. So yeah, that's, that's why I think unions are helpful. <laughs> that's why you're Lenin a great organizer. We're going we're gonna to turn some heads. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, we need, that type of thinking and that type of like i feel like we need that that's type of pep talk right now honestly like in the, the way the shit is going and like um reminders that like there's a lot of people trying to figure this shit out and you can get connected and like you know well you know we'll figure this out together or whatever like we'll try our best you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah that's why i wanted to make these booklets because part of it is like a demystification thing. You're like, okay, you know, like we were talking about, it's hard to know what all the rules are. Like, you know, at SF MoMA, I always encountered people be like, whatever, let's just strike, man. It's like, well, you actually legally can't do that or you can get sued. Like there are rules uh, and laws and like, you know, there's certain, you know. And they're changing all the time and making it harder to do these things. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a volunteer labor organizer when the Janus decision happened. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so, you know, it didn't affect us. But uh, it's just, it was, it was, it's frustrating to see this. So you have to like constantly educate people, but then you also have to inspire people and motivate people to persist. And so, you know, I had like, as an artist, I do a lot of like politically adjacent art, <laughs> I would say. Or, like, art that's informed by politics. And I don't know that I think, like, art itself can change the world. But, like, you know, what it, you know, by calling this booklet, like, an art object, it's, like, you get some aesthetics and some visuals. It can inspire you. It can, like, juice you up. And I think those are all really important things to help you develop those muscles to keep going and to keep persisting. Like, CCA is still negotiating their contract after several years. Like, Mm -hmm. we just kind of need to develop some strength. And that's how we persist and make change. So if like aesthetics can help do that and engage people and be like, oh, I'm going to pick up this booklet because it looks cool. It looks like the whole earth catalog. That's sick. What are these weird photos in it? You know, like that's a way to hook people a little bit and, and then get them inspired to stay in the fight. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's so much about our way of like, mediating social interactions at this point like we live in such a highly aestheticized world where everything is like well like can i post about it or like Mm -hmm. and and it's and it's complicated to be like oh well it does it it like it should look good like it has Mm -hmm. to look whatever that means like it has to be whatever interesting is but or like attractive somehow and 
like going through the process of making this book into something that is like really beautiful and and really like easy to access. I mean, I think it was just something that was totally missing before. Like, but I wonder also, um, you know, it seems like museums and this like art world um, institutions have been like having sort of an easier time of fighting for unions than other sectors. And I, and I wonder like what the connection is there or if you've noticed anything. I've actually, you know, I was just talking to someone about this the other day and like, that's really interesting to me too. I think, um, you know, people who are interested in being engaged in arts, like, uh, it's a difficult path, you know, and the, the advice is like, if you cannot do it, don't. Um, so you've already like committed <laughs> to doing something difficult and therefore I think are like maybe more receptive to that challenge to try and make something work. Like, you know, it's like the habits of mind that artists have, like persistence and dealing with failure. Uh, those are all things that those of us who make art deal with all the time. So like, you're like, all right, cool. I have like this predisposed mental, like psychological framework I would say like more art workers probably have leftist politics than like the average trade or industry, like, you know, same, same as teaching uh, mm -hmm. and a few other fields, but like culture just, workers in general, yeah. you know, yeah. Have, you're more likely to have an open mind if you're doing that type of work. But, yeah. 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 You're like open to perspectives and viewpoints. Like, yeah, exactly. How could you yeah, do that work if you didn't? So I think like working <laughs> in the culture. Yeah. Oh no! Sorry that like uh, you're you're getting uniquely screwed over as a teacher and as a cultural worker, also. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, yeah. The, I think like, yeah, the, it is a question. No, it's like I, I am excited. Maybe because also the field is smaller is another thing I was thinking about. Like, there aren't that many museums compared to how many like. Uh, fast food or like food service workers there are in America. It's a smaller field. And I think maybe there's something about that that allows people to connect better because they have these, you know, the unique work that they're doing. It's just like, you don't have, you're not as overwhelmed. Like I, when I was doing the YBCA project, one of the other fellows was always like, why don't you try to organize the Uber or Lyft drivers? And I was like, well, <laughs> uh, that's not my community. And B, uh, you know, I'm just an artist. <laughs> like, I like to control, like, work in things where I think I can have an impact. But I just think there's, like, more potential to feel like you can do something because it's smaller and, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's just making me think of how the uh, struggle is for the – Amazon workers who yeah. were just mm -hmm. like completely robbed of a vote and how much easier it probably is for like the, the management yeah. uh, crack in yeah. of, of Amazon um, to like just just completely like pay their way out of anything. When you yeah. have a personal relationship sometimes like not always obviously like some people are able to access that better but like I knew I knew the director you know and his office was down the hallway from mine and like I knew people at all levels of the organization and that's not the case for all arts workers and there's like obviously lots of isolation and alienation between the lowest paid jobs and the highest paid ones but like generally like it's more of a workplace where people know each other and I think something about like 
that personal component, it helps people organize because you just go talk to your coworkers. Yeah. Right. And you're allowed to talk to your coworkers yeah. too. Yeah. So how are you gonna talk like, to your coworkers? You can, well, no, you you can like talk. you can yeah. actually keep up a, a list. You can like actually keep up a list of all the managers in your head and like you they're not like these weird figures that live in a different state or whatever, you know. Like <laughs> you know, they're actually people you know then you see often mm-hmm. see every day and are in the same office with. And yeah, like we could make different. an invent you know, like you can make an in- for example, like when you're forming a union, you know, you need to do the thing where you literally make a spreadsheet of everyone who works there, figure out who could be eligible and who would not, and then you like have to do this harsh thing where you like rate them on how much likely you think they would be to join the union. But that's like, you can only do that if you know all those individuals and like, Mm -hmm. so the workplace has to be kind of small. And I do think there's like something about museums where there's this like smallness, but also like any nonprofit, you're like, I want to make a change or do something impactful. Like not always, but you do have that mindset and the employer takes advantage of it. But like, there is this like excitement to engage i think Mm -hmm. yeah no it's 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 and it's a good exercise to do stress tests and do them about like you know like yeah do do them often and and find like different things to like you know because like if 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 you've done the stress test if you've done the mapping and found like that like you have a lot of people on your side then like you know that it's like safer to be more in public for example like and that's like often what people have a hard time with seeing like how, how public it, we have, a mm-hmm. we have a Twitter, we have an Instagram, like, you know. Um, yeah. It's really tough. Like I mean, like we always joked about how, when we started our SF MoMA union Instagram account that like the, the like PR department was totally watching it to either like co-opt <laughs> it, which they tried to do or to be like, Oh my God, we got to tell someone about this thing that they're saying or, you know, cause like, it was very yeah. popular and it was like, well, uh, we're interested in only getting glowing publicity. And now there's this other group of workers that like are getting praise. And so that's a threat to us. So it's just a whole, it's a right. whole delicate dance. And I guess also to go back to like why art museums, you know, there's a lot of artists who work there and people have a creativity and you need creativity to do really effective organizing. So a thing that always sticks out to me is during our, um, 2017 negotiations we had a member who wasn't on the bargaining team just really stoked to participate and she was a ceramicist so she took like survey we all you know a lot of unions will do um, surveys before a contract so you know what people want and need so she took survey data from the members and glazed it onto mugs so we could like take the mugs to the bargaining meetings that were like (laughs) 56% of staff have to have an extra job or like 70% of people don't see a long-term future here. It was really um, pretty clear. Yeah, we made a ton of, yeah. Like like one of the more contentious things was making buttons that like we made a very large amount of buttons and they would change color for every month that we were still negotiating the contract. (laughs) So like everyone who worked in Frontline like was wearing like, they look like TGI Fridays was the joke because they had like buttons all over that are just like um, SF MoMA worker or like the dates that we're organizing. And like we had a thing in our contract that says, um, you can wear buttons up to 1.5 inches and I happen to have a button maker because they're fun. So it was like, oh we turned into a button factory. So it's like, so there's like a lot of just creativity around and people want to use it to do something. I do think there's like a thirst for 
for workers now to like do something impactful and, and also like because of the world we live in where everyone's dispersed it's like to participate and to engage and to develop community i think like societally there is like a a thirst for that and so like this is a a way that um you can plug into that but also get your basic needs met like that's a win yeah and so i i guess what yeah that's part of like people who are worried about like the risk right is like that's should outweigh the potential risks and often like if if explained to in that terms um it does help and it does uh work and engage people i don't know uh so yeah it's very valuable that's all i'm saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and, and i think that's really brilliant about like finding creative ways to slip in information mm-hmm. like you know there are ways to like be covert but then also send a clear message to the people who need to see it right like you know these sorts of strategies are like a creative problem and that's like a really fun way for like uh art artists to plug in and stuff I mean yeah it's really fun and also like so in the second booklet it's it's mainly like stories from um other like union bargaining team members the first one more just lays out the process but the stories that like resound is like you made really good friends and you like made things together. I have a really personal experience where on the bargaining team, when I was on it, our colleague, Paul Clipson, who's since passed away, he's this amazing filmmaker. And like he and I got to collaborate on prints and buttons. And it's like a really special experience I got to have with him. And like collaborating is hard and it's a it's challenging and draining, but it's fun for the same reasons with art. And it's even cooler when you get to apply it to your workplace to actually like try and like get people a raise or get people a, like a commuter subsidy or better healthcare. Like all those things sound really boring, but they're really necessary. And then you can like find fun ways to engage people. Like one of the most fun things we did was we started having coffee breaks at 3 PM on Thursdays and we would use some of the union budget to buy snacks and coffee. Cause we would always be like, the museum <laughs> just really needs to do one thing and it'll really bust, bump up people's morale. If we just had free coffee, we're like, all right, we'll just buy it ourselves. And like some people would spend their 15 minute union mandated break, setting up the coffee and then everyone would come have it and we would be really loud and really vocal and everyone would be like, whoa, what's going on? It's like, oh, we're just like, talking about our labor issues and enjoying free snacks and coffee. And then like some other people would use their 15 minute break to clean it up. And it was just like a thing that happened and it really brought people together. And there's just like so much creativity amongst uh arts workers it's like it's so I think that makes it a really rich place for organizing and is a really great way to build the labor movement in a super accessible way I had a teacher yeah I I, I guess like sorry sorry no no you go on you're on a lag so I know I'm sorry I this always happens when we do remote because I just suck um but uh, no, I, I remember no, it's I had your a, internet that sucks, not you. Well, it's me. I'm so sorry. But uh, <laughs> I had a no. I had a teacher um, who would say like, oh, you know, artists are the best employees. They're the best workers because they work for nothing and they take meaning in anything. If you make them do something, they will find a way to make it meaningful to them and their some themselves in their lives. And I feel like that's like energy that really can get pushed into something like a union or organizing your workplace instead mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. tr- 
trying to like make the women's bathroom sign really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as an example, my coworkers and I, there were like five of us in the education department and we're like, oh, we're sick of how there's never coffee. Let's start like our co- a coffee club and we'll take turns like putting in money and buying yeah. coffee. But in classic organizing fashion, eventually like some most people got sick of making the coffee or maintaining it and then it <laughs> fell apart. And then like we kind of did that with the union, but like it worked and there were a lot of people involved. So we sustained it. Mm-hmm. You had more accountability. It wasn't just like two of you Definitely. Yeah, doing your weird little <laughs> thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, that's, I mean, that's, what's cool about being a weirdo at your kind of regular job is that you feel more at liberty to do little things like that kind of test the waters, push the envelope a little bit, be, you know, you're, you're, I don't know that that's kind of how, I feel sometimes as a trans person hired anywhere is that I'm like, I kind of mm-hmm. can get away with a little bit more because they don't want to fucking lose the cred of having a trans person oh. on their staff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I use the resources you yeah. have. <laughs> so I, I, I feel like that really helped me even with my, my current job, it was only supposed to last two months and I, I was able to get it to last for six months just by nature of, I don't know, just like being a half competent kind of pushing it, like kind of, you know, a very competent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure. Sure would be, sure would be, you know, a shame if your one trans employee uh, was fired. (laughs) I mean, but here's the thing, like museums really don't want to look bad. And that mm-hmm. is really in workers' favor. Like, it is. Um, I think workers are, like, starting to realize that. And that's maybe also why we're seeing all these movements. Like, uh, they don't want that stuff to become public, all the, like, annoying shit they do with workers. Like, um, yeah. And so it's just like, well, do you want us to put, you know. The, that's the thing yeah. about PR is it does fucking work and like if you know how to wield some of that shit it it is helpful to movement building if you use your powers for good (laughs) um but yeah yeah. and also just don't do it from an isolated position you have to yeah you have to know that it's not about being the one renegade who's gonna like break the whole case True. open yeah. and like expose the evil yeah i shouldn't i shouldn't be advocating adventurism i, I hope i'm not well it's adventurism to start a union with your homies so <laughs> yeah. like in that way yes but like just don't be um don't don't be a marvel hero about it or just right, yeah like, that's like the difference yeah, between like individualism and <laughs> yeah yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's things you can do to self, better self advocate like for yourself, but like then, you, you know, are you really like extending it to the rest of your coworkers also, you know? Uh, yeah. And that was, uh, that was an issue we talked a lot about um, when we were doing my colleagues. So Anna and Marty who collaborated on part of the text with me, like we would always be like, how can we use this framework of the contract to get greater equity? Even like doing really minor things like changing contract language to be gender neutral, like 
parental leave instead of maternal leave or whatever, you know, like, like it's a structure that allows you to change things in the workplace to make them better for people. And the more you do that with like everyone's greater equity in mind, like it is a way that you can make social change happen at your workplace where you couldn't otherwise, like it's a structure you can use to like, you know, I mean, one thing when we lost our colleague, Paul, the second time uh, we wrote in bereavement leave for close coworkers at the museum because, you know, a lot of his collaborators and, and friends all work there, too. And there are things wow. that you can put into the contract language. And so part of what we wanted to share was just like examples of how other workplaces have done this. So we did make a Google Drive where we pulled contracts from other museums across the country and other nonprofits. And also like some of them include like an MOU related to layoffs for COVID, like just seeing physically how other people have dealt with those things or like how other um, unions have put in clauses for like racial equity committees Mm -hmm. at their Mm -hmm. workplace or like a union member on the board was always our dream that will probably never happen. But like, you can like write all never that say stuff never. Out. Yeah, never yeah, you know it's true. Never. It's true. Yeah, right. We have to be imaginative. Like, uh, dude, I think, it's yeah. true uh, because uh, this came up in our our conversation last week too. Because like, this is a thing that all of these museums are very publicly saying that they're doing and then not doing in practice, and that matters. And that's like something that like instead of doing like a, a fucking infographic that does nothing for anybody in any marginalized fucking group, you can actually be a part of the mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion you want to see. You can oh, actually don't make you that happen. Millennial graphics. Oh, don't you just <laughs> love that? You can do one for that can. Google yeah. Facebook look. <laughs> My friends and I have a joke about the Spark Post industrial complex. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, it makes me really happy. But <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to. Oh, yeah. Um, this was Jill from the New Children's Museum. Um, so, like in the booklet number two, there's a lot, there's a whole bunch of sections where people push for these kind of creative equity type clauses. And like Jill talks about negotiating eight weeks of paid time off for if uh, domestic violence or sexual assault leave. Like, that's pretty amazing. They also got more bereavement leave. They got a non-voting seat at the annual board meeting. Um, They instituted an inclusion, diversity, equity, and access committee composed of both management and union members. Like, that's pretty amazing. Um, Jamie Cavanaugh, they work at the um, JCA in Minneapolis, talks about, like, negotiating a clause into your contract if you're like a small nonprofit if in case like a bigger nonprofit comes by and swallows you up just like these little nitty-gritty things and it's like it is a structure you can have to make change and so like you're saying instead of like a spark post which are great you got to educate the people where they're at but like uh you know these this is an action you can do so it feels it's really cool that like it feels really empowering it was like one of the most empowering things in my life to participate in this because you actually can change something. And that's really rare, I think, in our kind of atomized new liberal society where we can like really make an impact that's tangible. And so like seeing what other people do is just a great way to be like, oh yeah, I could do that too. You know, like never say never. Maybe we'll all get um, artists and lower paid workers on the boards of the museums. Who knows? We shouldn't say never. Or hell, you could just have worker-owned museums. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here for yeah. the co-ops and the collectives, exactly. It's coming. Co-ops it's coming. everywhere. I mean, that's actually another reason I love cooperatives. Like, it is a, it's, 
another structure that you can use. We're still living yeah. in capitalism, you know, like, but it's a thing to make a situation where you have some control despite this big system. And I think like, that's what we have to do is like, look for ways where we can change things um, and use art as a tool to help us do that. If we can, that's great. Yeah. And it's, it's um, going to make a difference much more than paying some fucking PR company a boatload of fucking consultant fees to make a fucking oh, illustration. <laughs> like um, that, if you really give, actually give a shit for real about diversity and inclusion, you have the power to do it yourself and figure out how to do it. Um, not just by yourself, but with your coworkers together. <laughs> we are uh we're rounding up on an hour here and uh i i feel like maybe there's a moment for any uh last um oh plugs too let plugs uh and and uh last thoughts and then after i haven't forgotten train sonas <laughs> oh shit i completely oh, forgot i can go with um telling people how to get copies of this because I really, Please. you know, there are digital PDFs, but I think a physical copy of a booklet is really important. And that's why we Rizograph printed this booklet. Um, so if you go to organizingpower.org, um, not only can you get the PDFs of volume one and two, you can have us mail them to you because we got a grant from the Warhol Foundation. So Andy Warhol's money will send you this booklet and mm. you can organize more yeah. in your workplace. I love to say that. Thank you, Southern yeah. Exposure and the Warhol <laughs> Foundation. Um, I've been mailing them out all over. You'll get a very fun mail. And then also um, we're reprinting volume one soon. So we can also send you volume one if you're like, hey, I want to start a union and I don't know anything about it or what to do. Um, so you can request volume two if you're about to negotiate a contract. So all of those cool new unions that formed, you should be emailing us. And then there's um, links to other contracts and all kinds of resources in the Google Drive. And we have volume three coming up soon, which is all about these creative organizing strategies that a lot of us just talked about. Like, and if so, if you're like, whoa, we did this cool thing at X Museum. We would love to hear from you. We're going to put a form up and you can email us. That's so awesome. Wait, yeah. so Desalyn, I happen to know that there's a sizable amount of our audience that have access to Rizograph printers. Um, are there Amazing. any way for printers to get involved and maybe help you distribute? Ooh. Hey, email me. I love to <laughs> collaborate with ideas. Uh, hit me up. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's get this so going. Cool. Let's get this little Same. factory rolling. <laughs> we didn't even get into like print and what you can do with that. That's a whole other. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I'm the, the, the printmaker on this. Yeah. <laughs> one um, of the really cool things about print though is uh nobody can find it like in your email inbox or something you know what that's pretty neat like if you just have a piece of paper and then you put it in your pocket nobody can see it there <laughs> that's right or inside and, a binder oh my goodness yeah <laughs> you can put a piece of paper inside of a book yeah the, yeah. the TSA and the cops, lost. they love wasting your time, but they're not going to fucking sit and read your whole fucking book. <laughs> there they're you just, go. They're not going to do it. Just think about it. <laughs> well, Jessalyn, thank um, you so much yeah, lovely for to coming talk to talk to, to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about your personal practice? Do you want to share any of that with our listeners? Oh, yeah. Um, 
I, uh, yeah, it's jessalynallen.com. Uh, I do a whole other project where I give free risograph printed posters to teachers for their classrooms with quotes by activists and authors, um, getting out there in the world of print. And then I have a public art project in the city of Emeryville on the bus shelters, uh, making some beautiful floral sunsets, honoring um, important heroes in Emeryville history. Uh, so that's a local project, but it'll be online. And it's you can awesome. find me on Instagram at Jessalyn Holland. And thanks so much for having me. It's fun to talk about labor with arts workers. Oh, yeah. yeah. This was delightful. This um, really, yeah, hit it off. This was awesome. So good. <laughs> um, yep. Every, all of our listeners, I guess that's it for um, art and labor. You can support What train? Us. What train? Oh, right. The fucking trains. I knew there was something. What else. train are you? What train? <laughs> If you listened this far, you're going to hear, what train? <laughs> what train? What train? Um, I, I know what train I am. I'm sorry. Well, you go first. Let us think. Okay. All right. So, okay. I'm Vic, and I'm a train that cleans the subway, and it's like, it only works really late at night. Sounds super crazy, um, but also, like, the segments of the train are made out of this really like shiny black stuff that looks like latex so yeah. the train looks like it's wearing dom gear excellent mm. that's a good train that's the, that's hot it's a fucking yeah, hot it's train the coolest train <laughs> okay i know i mine came to me while you were talking so yeah i am the mythical x train that never existed that was proposed Ooh. to exist yeah. it was proposed to exist to uh make the m train a circle Ooh, train and X. it's me and i do oh, exist I it. and it, yeah. it's gonna convert the um underused and weird one of the weird underused freight lines into public line that could still run freight every once in a while if you have to but it also <laughs> can run the subways and it could be fitted to the subway so it could do both and uh, we wouldn't have to sacrifice either. And uh, yeah, I don't know. And it's it's versatile and uh, and good and it's real. Beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> and it closes the M train so that people yeah. who live in fucking Queens can get yeah. to like Northern <laughs> Queens without having to fucking take a cab and use fucking Lyft, which sucks. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what about Sarah or Jasmine? Sarah, do you have one? I might. Um, I think I misunderstood the question I can, because I can yeah. go if you want to well, think. Yeah, yeah, you should go. Okay, it's up for interpretation. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna go with an Amtrak because um, an Amtrak is oh. a great way to cheaply move yourself across the country or send art across the country for your art show, disguised in a bike box. So I'm always going with like the punk post angle, and I live right next to the Amtrak. Um, but also, I want to give a shout out to my favorite TV show, Japan Railway Journal, for all the train heads out there. They literally yeah. have a profile <laughs> trains in Japan, and so I aspire yes. to be more like the tourist trains that are. Decorated like tiny aquariums or gout or like oh, yes. observatories, like the, they're really cool trains. So, just oh wow, that out there. yeah, you didn't even know what you were walking into with this train question. It's a big deal in my life. I just had a feeling. Yeah, I got the I got the JR pass when I was in Japan, and I mm. I took the bullet train, and I it was mm -hmm. fucking awesome. So many yes. good trains for the heads. Yeah, heads, um, train heads, all there. They have five different train lines in Tokyo alone. 
I I think that I'm the boxcar that the boxcar children live in. Oh, that's it. That's really I love sweet. it. Utility, yeah. yeah. Utility, you're, you're not connected your to anything. Previous else utility is over. Yeah, it, it it has been remodeled, refurbished, uh, re. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <with love. laughs> Decorated by children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was great. Um, I hope everyone fun. enjoyed this little Easter egg. <laughs> It's for the real heads who listen to the whole way. You're the best. You're the best. You you already won my heart. I'll, I'll DM me. I'll give you five dollars. Leave a wow. train in the comments. Hey, wait a minute. There's supposed to give us five dollars. Whoever does it first gets five dollars. Yes. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Let's have fun out there. Let's have fun. Lots of fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun, lots of fun.